And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. These freaks are dedicated, hard-working people. I'm Batman. Whosoever holds this hammer, if he be worthy, shall possess the power of thought. This looks like a job for Superman. Let's hear it for Captain America! It's the Dying Man! It's the Rocketeer! Gentlemen, you're up. Hello and welcome to Two True Freaks. This is either Comics Monthly Monday number 56 or the unofficial Tales of the Justice Society of America reunion show one or two. (laughs) (laughs) My name is Scott Gardner and joining me this month is only one person, but he's an awesome person because we left the other one. Uh, what 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 was his excuse? He had uh, the ex- government shutdown. Yeah, uh, it's kind of like what it. happened with Shag over on the Fire and Water uh, podcast. The, with the shutdown going on and everything, he, the federal subsidies that kept him on Two True Freaks ran out. So uh, okay, see, I heard he got beat up by a girl. That's what I heard, but I don't know. He, no, he paid for that. Oh, so. okay. <laughs> so joining me, Mr. Michael Bailey. <laughs> Don't get him all excited about Tales, Scott. We're gonna, we, got, we get enough uh, weekly emails about oh, that. Man, I'm telling you. With, uh, I mean, I mean, it, you know, like, like, you know, if we had some in the can, we're probably just waiting to record more. There you is, go. Uh, that that's my, you know, uh, theory on the subject. But no, this is uh, this is kind of interesting. Just the. Just the two of us. I don't think there's been just a two-man <coughs> Comics Monthly Monday in years. No. <laughs> yeah, that's very true, come to think of it. So, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of excited because, uh, you know, actually, no, I'm not excited. I'm very upset that we're not going to, that we're not going to get a live, you know, get Chris to read a <laughs> goddamn superhero comic because those are always, you know, I... I haven't heard a fourth grader read a book report in a while, and he, he usually keeps that that uh, itch scratched. So, I do greatly enjoy his uh, his get Chris to read section. Yes. Oh well, that's all right. It gives us a little bit more extra time for next month because I got to thinking. Uh, I kept meaning to send him the next issue of the of the book that I want him to do for the the next get Chris to read segment. And I just, I've been lazy. I just keep forgetting to send it to him. So I need to send it to him. So, cause I want him to do the first two issues of that particular book rather than just the one. Cause I think the first two issues really give you like a good feel for, um, the feel of the series, you know, what it, what it's going to kind of play mm-hmm. like. 
rather than just the first issue. Because I think if he just did the first issue, I think he would enjoy it. But I think there's also a certain sense of, I don't know, it wasn't long enough for me to really get a handle on it type of thing. Whereas the first yeah. two issues is a little, there's a little more meat there. Whereas these days you need the first like six. Yeah, no kidding. To, to get the whole thing going. Even some of the independent books are like that. Uh, that, that are maybe a little better quality than what's going coming out for the big two. But speaking of that, what have you been doing in the world of comics over the last month? Oh my goodness! Um, you know, not not a heck of a lot because uh, I, I'm still on my read through of uh, of a series called Legacy of the Force. It's uh, star you know Star Wars novels. Um, but I've been trying to keep up with a few titles. And uh, what's funny is. The, the listeners did not hear this, but I'm sure you'll remember at the tail end of last month, uh, we actually had rather a, a nice little epic little conversation. We probably talked for like 30, 40 minutes about um, some different titles. The one that I went on and on about was All-Star Western mm-hmm. from DC. And we had quite the little conversation about that. And, and largely... It was me, I don't want to say complaining, but I was starting to get a little bit nervous about the title and, and the direction it was going and, and not really feeling it, you know? Yeah. I, and you, you remember the conversation, but yeah. I'm just trying to fill in for the, for the listeners that actually did not hear it because it didn't make it into the show. I cut it out. The reason I cut it out was because not long after that recording... I read the next issue, which I'm not sure what issue they're at right now. I may be behind a little bit because, as I say, I've been I've been concentrating on those Star Wars novels. But the last issue I read was 23. But at the time that we recorded that show, the last issue I had read was like, I don't know, it was in the 20s. It was like, I don't know, 20, 21, 22, something like that. But I hadn't read that latest issue yet, 23. So... Basically, what was going on and and what was starting to make me a little bit nervous with the book, for one thing, I felt like they were spending like way too much time in Gotham, you know, because in in the beginning of the new Jonah Hex series, All-Star Western, he'd traveled to Gotham and then I thought it was just going to be like one story arc. But then he became kind of almost like an established fixture there in Gotham. And it was cool for a while because I'd always wanted to see a Jonah Hex goes east so, you know, story. But I always wanted to see it like Jonah goes to New York City or something like that. And so New it, York City? <laughs> get the rope. But with it being uh, you know, Gotham City, of course, even though it's a hundred and some years in the past, they still couldn't resist that urge to do Batman tie-ins to a, to a point where they actually even tied it over or you know, crossed it over with... Um, what the, was that uh, one? Night Court of the of, Owls. Night of the Owls, yeah. yeah Which I actually, the whole, the whole first like storyline was kind of laying the groundwork for that uh, in, in All Star because I read the first five issues and it seemed to be really tying into what was going on in modern day Batman. And I'm right. like, okay, so to to keep the lights on at All Star Western, I just assumed they were making it a Bat title. And that's what it really started to feel like. It started to feel very much like like Jonah Hex was no longer really his own person or his own title. It was starting to feel like an adjunct bat title. And that was starting to kind of bug me. But anyway, they, they wrapped that whole thing up and Jonah eventually kind of went back to his, his own element. And he started to have this new story. Well, as this new story started, all of a sudden... <laughs> who shows up 
booster gold just shows up out of nowhere. Now, what was really cool about this was that even though it's new 52, this is like the best version of booster I have seen since the early days of booster, like when he had his own original series. So that portion of it, I was kind of digging because this was a, a version of booster that I had long wanted to see come back again. And it was weird because it's got to be this new 52 version of him, which I'm completely unfamiliar with, yet he felt very familiar to me, if that makes any sense. Can I ask you a quick question about sure. that? Because we've had this conversation before. And every time we have the conversation, there's that little itch at the back of my head that, you know, it's like, Scott's right, but there's something a little off. Are you talking about what Booster eventually became in his own series? Or what he was like at the start of his series. Because at the start of Booster Gold, Michael John Carter was kind of an asshole. See, he was in it, he was in it for the money. He was hiding out in the past. He and the course of the first like ten or fifteen issues was him slowly coming into being a true hero. Because at first it was all about getting paid for it. Right. But at the same rate. I, I never really saw him as, you know, I, I sure he was out to make a buck and that sort of thing. But where, where I really, I mean, I like that character right from the get go. And I saw it, it almost like it was an act like, yeah, he, he was there for a paycheck and, and he wasn't afraid to, you know, to do things other heroes wouldn't do as far as, you know, use the heroics to, to make himself famous and make himself money and things like that. But at the end of the day, I thought that he had proved that he was a hero. You know, deep oh, yeah. down, he was truly a hero. But somewhere after the end of his his series, his original series, I felt like that character just just became mishandled. Like people just didn't get what he was all about. And he, for one thing, he became a big joke, especially when he was in the you know the Boahaha era. Uh, JLA and all that. And I, I felt like the character never really recovered again. Like he never was as great as he had been in the early days of his original series. Like somehow he had just become a, almost a, a parody or a caricature of himself. And what's funny is that even when um, Jurgens, you know, Dan Jurgens, the creator of the character, even when he himself would handle Booster Gold after the end of that original series, even I felt like, you know, like Jurgens didn't quite get it either. Like, like he just, like he ran with the newer incarnation of the character, like what everybody else was doing with the character rather than being faithful to the original way that he had written that character. I, I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's how, just how I always felt about it. But this appearance of him, I, I've really been enjoying. And I thought it was really interesting. But anyway, um, you know, so Booster pops in, and it was interesting and all from the from the perspective of being a Booster Gold fan. That I really was enjoying. But at the same rate, you know, you talk about that little itch in the back of your brain. You know, it was starting to bug me that okay, I was already feeling a little bit nervous that Jonah Hex was becoming a, an adjunct Bat title. Now the sudden booster gold shows up and it's like, okay, what I always loved best about this character and about his, his titles was that it was completely removed from 
the DC universe for the most part. He really didn't cross over with anything else. He, it was self-contained. It was a gritty real world Western. And, 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 and like you would have like other DC Western heroes, but that felt normal. Like you would want Batlash to show up every mm-hmm. once in a while or Scalp Hunter or he, El Diablo because they all, they all live out of that world, but it's not like the Justice League is showing up every five issues. Exactly. You know, and, and even those appearances were, were fairly um, infrequent, especially in the old days, you know, with the, with the last uh, series, Jonah Hex volume two, you know, we did see more of, of those Western characters you talk about showing up and stuff, but you know, in the original incarnation of Jonah, you know, back in the seventies and eighties, I mean, other than like Crisis on Infinite Earths and a couple of uh, of cross or not really crossovers, but a couple of appearances of Jonah in the Justice League of America, he never really crossed over with superheroes. Mm-hmm. And when those things happened, they didn't happen in his title; they happened in you know, like I said, Crisis or Justice League. So his own book wasn't you know, quote-unquote, polluted by these other characters. So to have Booster Gold show up, as awesome as that was, at the same rate, like I said, it, it was kind of raising that red flag, like, I'm, I just don't know if I'm digging where this is going. Anyway, so that was the conversation that we had last time around. Then I read number 23. And at the end of the prior issue, at the end of 22... Boost something happened and uh, and Booster and Hex somehow they time jumped together. They they were I don't know pulled through time or something weird happened because Booster himself didn't know how he had wound up in the old west. He just wound up there, and so in the course of this little misadventure that they're having, they end up time jumping again. And when they time jump the second time. They end up separated. We don't know at this point what's become of Booster. He's just disappeared. But Jonah finds himself in modern day Gotham City. And mm. he's having all these misadventures and everything. Well, at the end of that that issue, uh, it, would, it must have been issue 22, he ends up um, committed to Arkham Asylum because he thinks he's Jonah Hex, who he really is, but nobody believes him. And so that was where the thing, the whole thing, kind of ended. And like I say, I was like, I wasn't really decided, but I was starting to feel like ah, I just don't know where this is going. Then twenty three comes out. So twenty three comes out. He ends up getting out of Arkham Asylum, and he goes on this this basically this cross country like misadventure as a fugitive from the law with. Um, the modern-day Arkham. I forget what his name is. I don't think it's Amadeus Arkham, but whoever the modern-day Dr. Arkham is, you know, descendant of Amadeus Arkham. And, they, they, you know, they're driving across the country in this car and everything. Jonah has all these little misadventures, including he, he bangs this, like, modern-day, like, I don't know if she's necessarily a goth chick, but, you know, she's uh, like a biker chick kind of thing. And... Toward the tail end of the thing, um, Batman ends up being involved in it. Kind of, the whole thing comes to his attention that Jonah Hex is in the modern day. And 
over the course of this story, things started to kind of click. And I started to realize, oh my God, I think that this is Palmiotti and Gray's like nod to the Hex series. The one where Jonah wound up in like Mad Max world back in the 90s. Recently covered on the Quarterbend podcast. Yep, it was was a great episode too. And I think maybe that episode was what got me to really thinking about this because I had just listened to that episode and then I read this issue and I started to really see some strong parallels there. Because in that series, Hex got pulled into, it was basically the mid-21st century, but of course it was after a nuclear you know, holocaust type of thing. So it was Mad Max world. But he was pulled there against his will, and he was pulled there basically to be the plaything of this rich guy who just happened to have time travel at his disposal where he could collect historical figures. And so Hex you know, not wanting to play along escapes from that and then goes on his own adventures. Very similar to what's happened, you know, in, in all-star Western. He also ends up teaming up with, uh, with this, you know, again, like biker chick that he bags just like an all-star Western. And then arguably like the best story arc of that hex series was when hex, who, again, remember, he's in the, the 21st century in that series. He ends up teaming up with the Batman of the 21st century. Well, now we're in the 21st century, and Batman's involved in this story. Plus, Hex had a brief meeting with whoever the hell Batwing is. I, I don't even know who this character is, but I assume he's got something to do with the Bat, you know, the Batman family. And so uh, Jonah had like a brief interaction with him. But at the end of 23... It's basically like Batman to the rescue coming to assist Jonah Hex. And when I read all that, and there was a reference in there, I can't remember how it was worded, but it was something to the effect of, you know, that Jonah is now stranded in the 21st century. That's what really clicked with me. I was like, oh, okay, I get it now. I think I understand what it is that these guys are going for with this. And the conversation I'd had with them back at Megacon at the beginning of the year started to kind of click as well. Like, because I remember talking to them about, you know, are you guys ever going to touch on the old Hex series and the way it ended? You know, how the hell did Jonah get back to the 19th century and all that? And their answers were kind of like, eh, you know, you got to just keep reading kind of thing. Now I think I get it that they're not necessarily addressing that specific question but they're doing their own modern take on that story and you know it's kind of won me back i'm i'm digging it i'm very curious to see where it's gonna go it's been really interesting uh batwing is part of the batman incorporated thing that grant morrison set up when bruce wayne and my dogs are trying to chime in too uh when bruce wayne came back from the past Mm mm-hmm uh, one of the first things he did was basically set up an international organization of Batman. Like every country, he would finance these Batman of other countries and other parts of the uh, other parts of the of the United States. Uh, and Batwing is the Batman of Africa, and he. Had his own title. I think it's. I think who Batwing is has changed. I only read the first couple of issues because I really wasn't uh, into the into the whole. 
I I have no problem with people telling whatever kind of Batman stories they want to tell. You know, the character's been around for almost 75 years now. You know, he's flexible enough that, you know, I think writers can try different things with him. Doesn't mean that I have to be on board with it. And for me, Batman always works best when it's him and Robin and Nightwing and, you know, the Huntress maybe, you know, is that that's the team and not having all of these other Batman. Because I think when you have more than one Batman, even if it's not strictly Batman, you're kind of, you know, you're, you're diluting the pool. Right. You know, you're, you're, you know, Batman is cool enough on his, on his own. Having said that, they tr- they're trying something different. And that's kind of what they have to do. But I was never really into the title. So, but that sounds, uh, that's, I'm, I'm glad, because uh, I, I felt kind of bad when we, when we had that conversation, because I'm like, God, it's like the one DC title he's still reading <laughs> outside of Aquaman. And yeah, so, <laughs> so you got anything else? I'm uh, not really. I mean, like I say, I, I, I keep up with just a, a few core books, but, uh, are are you excited about season uh, se- uh, the the ne- the next season of Six Million Dollar Man in comic book form? I am, but at the same rate, it's like oh, now I got to get off my butt and watch you know the the show again because <laughs> I I was on a watch through of it there a while back, but I I didn't finish it, so now I need to finish it. So when the comic series starts up, I'll actually know you know where they are and what's going on, but. What's funny is I, I have been really enjoying the Bionic Man title that they've already been putting out. And it's it's funny because, uh, you know, Andy Leyland and I, we, we were both reading it and both really enjoying it. And uh, last I talked to him, he was not feeling it. And I, I'm kind of been curious why, because I, I think they did hit a little bit of a slump there for a bit. But what I've been reading so far has been pretty good. I've, I've been enjoying it, but... Uh, like I said, I don't. I'm not reading a whole lot of titles right now, but what I am reading, I'm I'm greatly enjoying. So, I've got about oh less than a dozen. I'm I'm trying to actively follow right now. It's it's been kind of a weird month for me because, uh, you know, DC has started this whole forever evil storyline, and I really didn't know what to think about it. Because, you know, there, there have been so many events, you know, in, in the past decade. Uh, and, and to be fair, DC, from the start of the New 52, did not really have event after event after event. All the titles were pretty much marching on their own. There were events within the titles. Like the Superman books would cross over. You had Throne of Atlantis, which I know you liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably about as much as I did. And, but there's never, there hasn't been a company-wide initiative. Uh, and I kind of appreciated that. And they had this whole Villains Month thing, where for the month to celebrate their second year of the New 52, all of the titles were like 23.1, 23.2, 23.3, depending on how popular the book was. Uh, Some books didn't get a point issue at all. Supergirl and Superboy didn't. Uh, I don't think World's Finest did it either. And uh, for my money, world's finest, and I and I'm and I think I can say this, even though I'm not I'm not strictly current with the book Earth Two. Those were two of the best books that DC were putting out. But the the the, the villains month was basically they would take a, an issue of a book and do an origin of a, a villain 
to kind of get y'all excited for this forever evil thing where at the end of the Trinity War, the crime syndicate shows up and supposedly kills the Justice League. And they've taken over the Earth. And they're basically telling all of the supervillains, you know, get in line, join up with us. And there's some supervillains that are wanting to fight against them. And that story is kind of, it's starting like your typical Jeff Johns event does, very strong. Uh, I'm kind of nervous about how it's going to end. Uh, but I've been enjoying that. But the, the thing about these books, these, these point books, during Villains Month, is that you had two covers. You had the regular cover, and then you had the 3D cover. And it was this weird, like, uh, if you listen to Fire and Water at one point, Shag was rubbing two of them together, and they made this kind of weird sound uh, because of the texture of the cover. Now, I wasn't planning on getting any of the 3D covers because I don't care. Uh, if they were available and they were reasonable, sure, but I wasn't expecting it. And this is going to go into a conversation about what you should expect from your comic shop. Because I walk in two weeks into September, because of Dragon Con, I hadn't been able to get to the comic shop. And I get my books, and the 3D covers are there. And I'm like, oh, uh, how much extra are these? And the shop owner's like, well, I'm not really, you know, I'm not giving a discount on them because usually I get a, a certain percentage off of my books, like most people who have hold book uh, hold boxes at comic shops get. He goes, but DC's not sending me the regular covers. These are what they sent. This is what I got from Diamond, so I'm giving it to my box holders. And I'm like, well, that's cool. So that happens, and then I go in a week later. And the 3D covers are in there again. And the owner's just like, yeah, I'm still not getting the regular covers. You know, cover price, no discount. Because apparently these 3D covers are going on eBay and going crazy. Like $10, $15, like right off the bat. So, again, this isn't something I was expecting. Okay, this isn't something I asked for. I go in at the end of the month. And I ask for my books, and I get one book. And I was expecting at least three or four, especially with uh, Action Comics coming out because I'm reviewing that for the Superman homepage. And I'm like, were there no other books this week? He goes, ah, go check the wall. So I go and check the, the little area they have for their new books. There's nothing there. I'm like, okay, I'll, you know, I, you know, I was planning to get this, that, and the other anyways, and, you know, there was something I was looking at on eBay, so maybe I'll pick that up, and I'll just, I'll buy the Action Comics issue off of Comixology so I can, uh, so I can review it, and I went and picked some Legion books out of the 50 Cent books, which means that I am now two issues away from having a complete run of Legion of superheroes from when it separated from Superboy to Legion of Superheroes, right up until the Wade Kitson series. So I'm very excited about that, actually. And 50 cents a piece, which is, I think you'll agree, a pretty good price for, you know, late 70s, early 80s Legion books. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, so, so I'm walking around the store, because I like to go check and see if any new $3 books came in, because sometimes there's books that are worth more than $3 in there, and you can get a pretty good price on it. And I see stacks and stacks of the latest issues of all like Batman and, and Batman, Superman and action with all the 3d covers just stacked and out. They're not in a back room. They're not in an office. They are where anybody who walks to that section of the store could be. It's like, Oh, well he probably just didn't put them out that. So I picked up the three that I wanted 
And I walked up to the counter. And this wasn't the owner. This is the guy that's been working there. And he's just like, he looks at me and he looks at the books and he looks at me and he's just like, um, where did you get these? I go, well, they were over there, you know, out, you know, basically making it clear that I knew that he had left them out. He's like, well, these aren't for sale right now. I'm like, why aren't they for sale right now? And he's just like, well, the owner hasn't, you know, he hasn't told me what he wants to do with them. And I don't really know what to do. And, you know, they're going for a lot on eBay. And I just, I just don't know what you're, you're going to have to talk to him. And this is, I've been having kind of a shitty month to begin with, uh, with a lot that's been going on in my personal life. And I, it's like one of those moments where you weigh pitching a holy fit against just wanting to get where you need to go, you know, like the, the, like I had to, I had just enough time to get to work basically so that if I started really arguing, it was going to make me late. So I hemmed and hawed and, and, and just kind of thought about it. I finally just paid for my books and I left and I started thinking about it all day. That basically, if at my job, which is a retail establishment, if we had product out on the floor that was either had the wrong sale price on it or wasn't supposed to be out there, but it was stuck out there anyway, I would have to sell it to the customer at that price or just sell it to begin with. Right. And it started making me think... Why and, and I know the answer, but it, but but the, I asked the question anyways. Why are comic shops exempt from normal retail rules? I mean, it's not like I, I was a little annoyed because the guy. I don't. My personal feeling is that the guy working there and the owner were having a difference of opinion on how how to handle the three D books, because the guy who's been working for him in my few conversations with him seems to be all about what the books are worth. Like, Oh wow, you got that for that price. You know, that book's going, you know, for uh, you know, uh, you know, a, a good bit. And when with these 3d books and he asked me how, uh, you know, how Dave was, was handling it. I said, you know, I said, well, he's been selling it to me. They've been in my box. You know, I didn't ask for them, but they were there. And it made me feel like this guy, this guy thought I was trying to get one over on him. Right. And which kind of pissed me off even more. But why do we, as comic book fans and and and, re, and, and people who who pay these people money, have to put up? And I'm not saying that my situation was like this dire situation where the you know life and life as we know it was going to end. But I know of other people who have had crappy experiences at comic shops. You know, why do we put up with it? Is it is it because there's so few of them around and we don't have another source? And to which I say, you know, if you've got a, a check card and a, a home address, you can go on and get all the comics you want anywhere. You can go on to sites that like, uh, you know, discount comic book service that you, you, you order two months ahead and it's all mailed to you. You know, you can get these books. So why are, but going back to it, why are, as a retailer, which is what comic shops are, why do they get to be crappy to their customers? Why do they get to be the guys that look at their customers and make fun of them for, their, for the purchases they're making? See, 
the the thing with this though is that <laughs> this very question you know has the potential to just um i don't want to use the word derail but it, it could take over this entire episode because <laughs> I, I i really think i know what the answer is but it's such a long involved thing that we we literally could do an entire show on it but but in short I think it's symptomatic of a bigger problem that I'm pretty sure that you and I have spoken of before. It's the same thing. Why, you know, I'll answer with a question. Well, why do comic book fans put up with anything that they put up with? Why do they put up with the very industry that they are supporting and keeping alive at this point? Why do they put up with that very industry treating them the way that they do treating them like like they're stupid and they don't matter at while at the same rate begging them to spend every possible dime that they can i mean it's it's something in the the fan mentality with with this particular fandom that allows them to just be mistreated continuously and I don't know. I really hope I don't take a lot of flack for this, but you know what you're talking about this treatment by the comic shop in particular is why, you know, it, I, I have long said if the comic shops tomorrow, just, you know, I mean, there's very, so very few of them left anyway, but even if the few remaining ones that are out there right now, just dried up and blew away tomorrow, I'm really not going to be too terribly upset about it. Now, I will say that with the caveat that, of course, I know that there's there are some good shops out there. There mm-hmm. are some good shops that give great, uh, you know, customer service and that treat their people well. And every, I, you know, I have been, uh, you know, a patron of shops like that. So I, I'm trying not to lump them all together. But let's face it: as a stereotypical whole, comic shops are just not the the friendliest place in the world. Most of them are are dark and dank and uninviting and the people that run them are typically rude and exactly the kind of person that you're describing you know where they're they're just out to you know to make a buck and to bilk the the customer and they don't give a damn about customer service and i mean do you ever try to return anything at a comic shop they'll, they'll mm-hmm. laugh at you but why why you know to a- ask your same question why can't you If you can go into any other place in the world and if you get bad service, you can complain or you can return your purchase if you're not satisfied with it. Why the hell can't you do that with a comic shop? It's a business, isn't it? But they have been running with their own exclusive set of rules ever since they came along because it's a a niche market and because their clientele just put up with and put up with and put up with. And I'm mystified by that Uh, to a certain degree. I mean, I... I'm not trying to make myself sound better than anybody else. It's just, you know, I used to be exactly the same way. But eventually, I'm personally, I just got to a point of frustration and being fed up with the whole thing to where, you know, I, I bought, largely just bowed out. You know what I mean? And I think that's kind of what needs to happen with more people. I think if you're truly frustrated with the way things are either with the comic shops or the industry or both or as a whole or whatever, then, you know, you, you got to speak with your wallet. And, but like I say, I know that we've, we've harped on this many times, so I don't want to, 
you know, go too long well, into that. But and to be fair, the shop I go to right now, I have a very, you know, I have a good client, you know, store owner relationship with the owner. He knows what I like. I've gotten some very good deals from him in the past. Uh, his store is very different from other stores you've been there. I took you there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was um, a nice place. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it, it has a lot of comics. It's got a lot of 50-cent books. I mean, the entire James Robinson Starman series is in his 50-cent box right now. Wow. So, I mean, you, you can go, you can get deals like that. And, and you know, if he knows you, and, and this is going to sound bad, but if he knows you, you know, it's, it's a pretty good relationship. Uh, sometimes he's a little quiet with uh with with the uh, people that don't come there as often but also it's it's a different kind of shop because it's got a bowling uh pro shop in there as well uh because that's his other passion so and and like you said i'm not saying that all comic shops are like this because there are i spoke to a manager uh at dragon con a, a, an owner of a shop and it sounded like his shop was the type of shop that i would like to shop at because he's very engaged with the customer. He wants a diverse client base. He doesn't want just the same people coming in. He wants a lot of people coming in because that's how you make money. You know, you, you, comic shops, yes, their, their bread and butter is their box holders. That's absolutely true. I will not argue that point. I will not dispute that point. But where are they really going to make their money is getting new box holders by inviting more customers in and getting them to want to buy stuff, whether that's having like a good trade paperback, which will introduce somebody to a new series that they want to pick up on a regular basis, or just, you know, just having kind of a clean and inviting store. You know, the, the stereotype of the, of the, of the, the comic book guy on Simpsons, unfortunately that's not something that we can really get offended at because it's, it's kind of true. There, there are a, there are a large majority of, of shops that are like that because yep. you, you've got these people that this is their passion, so they get a couple thousand dollars together and they open up a shop, and suddenly it's not like work. And I've gone to shops that turned into a social club, and ultimately that's why that shop failed. Yep, because you know you're 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 not inviting to new people coming in. It's just where all the regulars come in and hang out play video games and it was fun but i realize now that it was a horrible horrible business decision so and there are too many places now that you can get comics like i can i can kind of see in the in, in like you know 15 20 years ago where the comic shop that you have in your area might be the only comic shop within 30 miles and you don't have much of a choice because yeah there were mail order uh, systems and all that, but I, I I would see ads for them, but I would never take part in them because there was places to go. So I can see back then where you might you might put up with a crappy owner because you have you know there, there's not another option in town. But nowadays there's just too many places to buy comics, whether digitally or physically. That that you know you you should you need. <laughs> To, to quote my father, you need to fire the stores that you don't like. Mm -hmm. and, and that goes with any retail establishment. But that was my diatribe because it was on my mind and I figured it would be a nice conversation between the two of us. So uh, that, that's, I mean, to be fair, the, the books that I did get, I enjoyed. Uh, they had an interesting new take on the Cyborg Superman. 
And I realized in the course of reading the origin that I was not as emotionally attached to the old cyborg Superman <laughs> as I thought I was. I, I started thinking about it. I'm like, you know, outside of his place in Reign of the Superman and maybe, you know, Hunter Prey, where, you know, he was hooked up with, uh, you know, Doomsday coming back and Darkseid, I really didn't care about the cyborg after that. <laughs> so any changes that were made to him really didn't bug me because it's just like there wasn't much there to begin with. So there's not that much to get attached to. So, but it was liked, interesting though. I liked that character a lot when he first came along and very quickly he became, um, in, in my mind, he's very similar to Superboy Prime to where when I saw him a lot of times after, you know, his, his initial thing that he, he was more annoying than he was interesting yeah. Especially when they changed up his look. At some point, they changed his look, and I was never really sure why they did that. They went with that brown kind of just yeah. more generic cyborg look. Yeah, and I really didn't like that. I, I liked when he looked like he might have been Superman resurrected as you know as a cyborg. I thought that was really cool, but. That's one of those instances where a character works for a particular story but may not have legs beyond that. Right. And uh, see, I, I'm of the opinion that I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No, I think I think it's actually I, I wish more um both writers and fans would realize that, you know, there's certain characters that are probably best to to come along, do what they do. It's an awesome story, they're really cool. And then they're just kind of hands off after that because the more you use them, the and the more exposed they become, the less they are eventually. You know, and, and I mean, comics history is littered with characters like that. I mean, Doomsday and, and Venom come immediately to mind. You know, Venom, a character that I, it's funny to think back on this now. It, it, and I laugh at myself now. But when that character first came along, I thought he was really, really cool. I, I really enjoyed that character. Now, can't stand him. But it, it's because of that oversaturation. You know, he comes along, he, he's the hot new flavor of the month, and the next thing you know, he's in like every single book, including getting his own book. And it's like, why? You know, you, you've taken this kind of neat new thing and just driven it right into the ground to the point where nobody even wants to look at it anymore and 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 to be fair you know all those venom mini series or limited series that were coming out in the uh in the 90s you know they they had to come from somewhere there 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 had to be sales someone was buying those books. i was buying them <laughs> oh, okay. i'll admit it i'll admit it yeah but it, what's funny is i was buying them and even at the time i was buying them fully cognizant of the fact that you know these kind of suck <laughs> and i it wasn't until there was one of them i can't remember which one it was but there was one of them where i i think the artist was that um kelly What's his name? That was doing all the Batman covers for a Jones, while. Kelly Jones. Kelly Jones. Yeah, I th I think there was a, a series that I'm pretty sure it was fully illustrated by Kelly Jones, and that was my like oh hell no point. That, <laughs> that's where I was like no I'm done I'm done with that. That's all I can stand, and I can't stand it no exactly. more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's just uh, you know 
I always go to Bane as well. And Bane actually is kind of is kind of somewhat the exception because you know I liked him in Nightfall. I think he was a great villain for that series. I think he was a great villain period because here's somebody that yes they were recycling a plot from Batman 400, but at the same time there hadn't been any Batman villain that basically said, I'm going to take over Gotham. First step, wear Batman down. Right. Don't take him on. Second step, break him. And he did it. He succeeded. Bane won until Jean-Paul Valli took him down. When they brought him back for Legacy in the second special, that seemed like, okay, there needs to be a resolution between Bane and Batman. Mm-hmm. You know, Batman lost. You know, he's got... It, it's not so much Batman's got to get his get back, but that 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 can't stand. Batman has got to redeem himself against Bane, and he does it. And for a while after that, outside of No Man's Land, where I think Bane was used perfectly, you know, he was brought in by Lex Luthor to kind of do a couple jobs. In fact, he took on the Joker at one point. Uh, and has one of the best lines ever. He grabs the Joker after punching him in the face and goes, I don't think you're funny. And there's that sense like, oh shit, this guy's not playing. This guy doesn't, this isn't Batman. <laughs> this guy doesn't care about the Joker. You know, he's he's there to take care of a problem. And then for a while after that, it just seemed like every time they brought him back, it was to diminishing returns. It's like he thought he was Bruce Wayne's brother. Because t- there's a picture of Thomas Wayne and his mother from before he was born. And maybe he is related to Batman. And I don't think it was until Gail Simone brought him into the Secret Six that he really started being a worthwhile character again. Uh, I don't know if you read that title. I-, I read it on and off. But I thought his role in that book was amazing. So he's kind of the exception, though, that I think proves the rule. That Because Venom, I think you're absolutely right. Venom worked beautifully as the villain in 300, and then you bring him back uh, for another round. But once he became the protector of the innocent, I think that's because, you know, you really couldn't sell a a title about a villain who kills people. Andy, Andy Leyland brings it up all the time, you know. You can think he's a hero and he can save as many people as you want. Man killed a cop in one mm-hmm. of his first outings. And that's not exactly what... No matter what you do until you pay for that crime, you're not really... You, you could save a thousand lives until you own up to what you did. You're not going to be really even an anti-hero in my eyes. But, you know, I'm I'm picky, so what do I know? Mm-hmm. But that's pretty much all I had. Uh, Forever Evil is interesting. I'm kind of worried about how it's going to end, but I love the crime syndicate as a concept. Uh, And outside of one thing, I think that they're... They kind of took... And and I recently reread Grant Morrison's Earth 2, which I really didn't like when I came out, when it first came out. Uh, I'm not still super hot on it, but I kind of see what he was going for, but it's still, it's one of those things where I can perfectly see what the writer was going for still wasn't what I wanted out of the story. So it's just an agree to disagree at that point. This group seems to be taking that idea 
but making it more in line from what I want to see from the crime syndicate. Uh, I could have gone without seeing Superman, uh, Ultraman Freebase Kryptonite. Uh, but I got to admit, it was interesting to watch him powderize it, uh, burn it with his heat vision and snort it. Um, <laughs> Are you I guess that's serious? Yes, I'm dead serious. I looked at that and I went, really? <laughs> Did he just freebase kryptonite? Okay. <laughs> it's just like, it's like, it, it's like the, but it, but to be fair, it was the one unnecessary thing in the issue. Everything else really worked out well. It was like old school Jeff Johns again. Back when he was really firing on all creative cylinders, but uh, that's all I got for you know what you know what I've been doing in comics uh, over the past month. Now I've just ruined your day. I'm sorry. No, no, not <laughs> at all. Now you're just, but you're, all day long you're going to come back to it. You're going to be sitting there at dinner. You're going to be talking to your wife, and then you're just going to say out loud, "Free basing kryptonite," and no <laughs> one's going to know what you're talking about. <laughs> Oh man, I don't even I don't even know how to follow that up. Don't Maybe even know we should where play to go. Maybe we should play a trailer or something, and then come there back to Freaky Five. <laughs> <laughs> oh my lord! What book is that in that that's going on? Forever Evil Number One. Uh, yeah, no, I, I figured that would be no. your reaction. <laughs> No, I'm I'm very glad I'm not. No, not you're, you need to that. you need to you need to sit this one out. You really yep. do. I mean, uh, I'm saying that as your friend and as your, <laughs> as your spiritual advisor at this point. I, uh, I, I, I I I don't think you need to be in this. I, I I I honestly think that outside of that, you would probably be kind of on board with it just as a concept. You know, the crime syndicate has come and they've taken over the earth. That's actually a cool story in and of itself. It's like Final Crisis. If Final Crisis had been nothing but Darkseid taking over the Earth with the anti-life equation and the heroes having to fight against that, I think I would have been okay with with Final Crisis. It was all of the metatextual stuff with the monitors that just completely turned me off. And right. I, I really can't get... I, with apologies to Michael Leyland, I can't get behind a, a story that ends with one of the big moments of Superman singing. Uh, <laughs> I've seen Superman sing, and it really didn't go well that time either. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't even know what to say with that. Not, uh, yeah, not my cup of tea. No, well, not, not. and that's... <laughs> And that's perfectly fine. So, uh, you want to take a quick break and then go to the Freaky Five? Yeah. <laughs> Let's do that. I'm trying to bring it back on board. Hello, podcast listener. Do you like... Ready to form Voltron! Or maybe... <laughs> How about... I am Batman! Or... This is a job for Superman. Do you remember... Power Rangers! Or this? Right away, Michael. Or maybe even this? Autobots, transform! <laughs> or this? By the power of Grayskull! Or... For the honor of Grayskull! Or have you seen the latest episode of... Hello. 
I'm the Doctor. If you answered yes to any of these questions, then check out Charlie's GeekCast, hosted by me, Charlie Niemeyer. Charlie's GeekCast is a bi-weekly podcast covering comics and other geek stuff. The first episode of each month is devoted to comics, where I look at random comics from my collection. The other episode of the month is devoted to whatever else I want to talk about, such as movies, TV shows, cartoons, video games, and more. Feel free to check it out at www.charliesgeekcast.com. Alrighty, and we are back after a long break where Scott and I had to hash out our differences, and there, I think there was a knife fight in there somewhere. Uh, I'm not quite sure. And uh, cut you, bitch. So, so, somebody popped in, muttered something anti-Semitic, and then left. We didn't know who that was, and we were just kind of confused. But uh, we have a freaky five that is inspired by current events. Uh, I, I kind of had this kind of off the top of my head because I thought it might be a fun thing to do. Turned out to be a little more challenging uh, than I thought, uh, but it seemed like a good idea at the time. It was the top five books that were shut down slash canceled <laughs> before their time. You know what? You know it, it, a book that was really kind of rocking and rolling or had a lot going for it. And for whatever reason, and, it, and and usually it sales, but sometimes there's other reasons to go along with it. You know, for some reason it just they the, the publishers canceled it. So I'm gonna since I did the intro, I'm gonna turn it over to Scott to give his. Oh uh, wow! <laughs> for, for him to for him to swear at me for about five minutes, and then we can get into the uh, to the list. This was this was much harder than I thought it would be because when you when you initially proposed it, I thought, ooh, that's a really good one. But then I really had to rack my brains for this because it, it occurred to me that you know, unless I'm just not thinking hard enough, I was trying to think like what were the titles that when they got canceled, I was just like heartbroken i was like oh man i really like that book why did they cancel that and like i say maybe i'm just not maybe i didn't spend enough time on it or maybe i'm just not thinking hard enough uh, it's probably one of those things where you know three days from now at you know four o'clock in the morning i'll suddenly bolt awake and go oh my god yes why didn't i think of that one but uh a lot of times you know i've been a fan of like runs or a particular writer, or a particular artist, or something like that. And so a lot of times when a, when a book gets canceled, a, a lot of times it, it occurred to me that maybe I'm not there when they get canceled because I'd had my time on that title, and then they got canceled like justifiably or something. So I really had to pour over like a lot of lists and things, and I, and I spent a lot of time on uh, Mike's Amazing World, like going through the years trying to find like titles that jumped out at me, like oh my god, yeah, you know, I remember when they canceled that, and I was so bummed out. So here's what I managed to narrow it down to, and I think I got a pretty good list here. Um, so number five is. It's a bit of a cheat because it's actually two titles, but they were see see what you think of this. They were actually part of a of a larger whole. So the two titles are um, Extreme Justice, 
and Justice League Task Force. And Extreme Justice was not a great title, but I enjoyed where it was going. And I thought it had, I always thought that title had real potential for greatness that it never really achieved. And I, I often wondered, did it not achieve it because it just kind of ran out of time? You know, it, it never had a, a long enough life to really get the chance that, you know, that it could have had to, to become something great. Where on the other hand, Justice League Task Force, I thought was a really solid oh, book yeah. from about the midpoint forward where they they suddenly changed the format of that book because up up until about halfway through or so, about I think it was like issue like 15 or 16, the idea with that book was that it was a constantly rotating cast of Justice Leaguers that would be thrown together for missions. And so like I remember like the very first story arc was something like Aquaman and Nightwing and I want to say like Cyborg, maybe The Flash. And it was all these weird characters kind of thrown together, you know, characters that you didn't often see all interacting together. And that was okay for, the, you know, the first like year and a half or so. But that format, not only did it kind of play itself out, but that same format was also being used at the time by Marvel. Um, I think this was right around the same time they were doing like uh, Secret, what was it called? Not Secret, Secret Defenders. Secret Defenders, that was it. Something like that. And so the format, you know, that seemed so original and so cool at first became played out very quickly because it was being imitated. So they changed it up. And they made the Martian Manhunter like the uh, like the team captain, and then it was him training like the next wave of Justice Leaguers. Mm-hmm. And when Love they did book. it that way, I really dug that book. I thought the writing was solid, and I don't think the art team was consistent, but the the look of the book was consistent as far as the art was really good because they had. Um, who did they get on that? They got like Sal Valuto and mm-hmm. yeah, I mean the art was really, really solid on that. And they brought in a character called um, Triumph, who I thought was a really <laughs> cool idea. I, I thought he was very interesting. The, the time lost character from yeah. Zero Hour. Yeah, that was uh no, I love that. I loved, like you said, the back half of that book. I mean, there were some good storylines in there. But once it got to be John teaching the young kids, and you had Gypsy, you had the Ray. Mm-hmm. Uh, was Impulse in there? Am I remembering Impulse? Uh, you know what? I think he might have been. You know, you had all these great, you know, this great dynamic, but it was more of a family book. And there was a great humor to it. Uh, when Christopher Priest took over as the writer, he did this whole vampire storyline mm-hmm. where he had a, you know, he had like the Jonathan Har- Harker character, if I'm getting that name right, come in to meet the vampire, and you know how Dracula goes, I don't drink wine. It he turned it into this bit on how the vampire only buys Subaru <laughs> uh, as a car, and I and I, I remember chuckling at it. Uh, I will admit I'm surprised at your extreme justice choice, but now that I think about it, I think I see where you're coming from on there. I mean, the art in the in the first, I, I'm not sure how long, but the first, I don't know, I'm, I'm going to have to look up cover images here and see if I can get an idea. Yeah, uh, Impulse was a member of the team. At least he's on the cover of 26 here as I'm looking at it. But the art in this book was really solid. 
And they battled, um, oh, God, what was the dude's name? The fin-headed dude with the three eyes. Uh, Despero? Is that his Despero, name? Despero, yes. Yeah. They battled him, which was really cool. They went to Middle Earth, which was pretty cool. I mean, that was a, it was a really solid book, and then all of a sudden, boom, it was over. But I thought that was good. The Extreme Justice one, let me pull that up here real quick so I can take a look. Yeah, the art in the very beginning of that book was just atrocious because it was like the worst example of 90s art. It was, um, what was this? I can't remember his name, but he was like a a third-rate, Bart Sears or something. Yeah, and Booster got a crappy. Yeah, but uh, the lineup of the team was very interesting because they had Captain Adam was the team captain, and then they had um, oh, what's her name that was Maxima. In, uh, Maxima, yeah, Maxima was in there as kind of like the bad girl slash love interest type of thing. They had uh, Amazing Man, who I've always liked, but this was like the grandson of the Golden Age Amazing Man from All-Star Squadron. So he was on the team. And you had the blue and the gold. You had Blue Beetle and Booster Gold on there, which was really cool. And the writing was not bad. It was really, it was the art that was kind of bringing the book down in the beginning. And then somewhere along the line... They started to play around with the art style, and toward the end, it got a little bit cartoony. But I liked where it was going because once they got past the whole like ridiculousness of the whole extreme thing in the very beginning and trying to be like a cut-rate X-Men book or something and kind of found their own identity, and they were going against uh, Monarch and, and stuff like that. And so they were kind of following up both um, Captain Adam's story with Monarch, but they were also playing around a lot with Booster Gold. I thought it wasn't too bad, and they gave Booster a really cool new armor that was really neat, and they were going somewhere, and then all of a sudden, boom, the series got canceled. Right when it felt like, hey, you know, maybe they're finally finding their legs with this book. And it was a shame. They, they, what's really interesting is that this was where... Zan and Jaina of the Super Friends were brought into mainstream DC continuity for the first time as well, mm-hmm. which I thought was really interesting. Which uh, I was listening to the Fire and Water podcast, and they put forth the theory, Shag did, uh, that that was right around the time that Warner Brothers acquired the Hanna-Barbera characters. So maybe uh-huh. they were able to use them for the first time because they were able to use them because they sort of could license them at a cheaper or get the permission at a cheaper rate. I don't think they really brought anything special to the series, but it was kind of interesting to see them in the book. Right. And, he, and, and it, it suffered from what the Justice League was going through at that time because after Zero Hour, you know, they, they, they split the Justice League into basically three teams. Mm-hmm. Um, you had Extreme Justice, you had Justice League Task Force, and then you had the main Justice League title, which was kind of boring. And Captain Adam and Wonder Woman, who was the leader of the regular Justice League, didn't get along, and there was infighting in the teams and all that. And finally, you know, when they decided, you know, Grant Morrison is going to take it back to the Magnificent Seven, you know, that's 
really why everything was canceled because the books just weren't performing. Right. Uh, and, and it's just sad. It's, it, it always seems to be, and I think we'll, we'll find this in, a, in a, maybe a couple of these uh, cases that we're going to talk about, that it's right when the book starts to get interesting because they, they don't have anything to lose, so they're doing some interesting creative things, that that's when the, bo- the book's already been canceled and this is just the last gasp. Yep. Very true. Very true. I think uh, to a certain degree that's definitely the case with the next one on my list. Um, number four, Damage from DC. I actually really enjoyed that book once it got going. The, the early issues of that didn't really stand out as anything exceptional, I didn't think. But somewhere along the line, and, and the book only ran, I think, 20 issues but somewhere along the line, I think they realized we're we're going to need a, a unique hook for this book. We're going to have to do something to to make this one kind of stand out. And at first, it, it starts out, and it in a lot of ways, I, it felt like just another one of those, you know, almost like a young Spider-Man type of type of book you know the the young hero finding his legs you know the the everyman hero and pretty quickly i think that they realize that we're gonna have to go with you know try to find some unique angle for this character and so they actually tied him in with the justice society and made that basically the basis of his powers and his origin and where he was from and everything and they even brought uh arn monroe into the story Mm -hmm. And I was really digging where it went. And then again, they up and canceled the series. Now, he did um, jump over to uh, New Titans. He was a member of that team for a while. But that didn't last long either because then New Titans was canceled after not too much longer. And after that, I kind of lost track of the character. I'm not sure where he went if if he went anywhere after that, which is a uh, shame. He was in the, the Titans which was the uh, when Devin Grayson relaunched that property in 1999. He was part of that team. That's right, because didn't he end up, like something happened to his face or something when he was in that, JSA, right? Yeah, that was, um, that was, I'm trying to remember if that was before, or I think that was before, um, infinite crisis i'm losing yeah yeah mixing it all up so yeah yeah, something happened and he was scarred and uh he he was a major player eventually in the post infinite crisis justice society book uh and devin grayson did some things with him that i really didn't care for but yeah he was he was always an interesting character to me that was the time when dc uh, when they introduced him, they had him, they had Superboy, they had Robin, they had Anima, they had Impulse, and it seemed like you know they had a, a definite uh, junior wave of heroes mm-hmm. coming up the ranks, and I really liked that as a concept. Yeah, legacy characters. Yeah, mm-hmm. I did too. I did too. Ah, uh, let's see. Moving right along here. Um, now this one's kind of an odd one. Because at the time it got canceled, not a great book. But it was more the concept of, man, I wish that they could have 
could have brought it back or maybe hung in there a little bit longer until they could turn things around and make this a great book again and kind of continue the story. And that was Young All-Stars. Because I was tempted to say All-Star Squadron, but All-Star Squadron kind of had an ending and became Young All-Stars. Yes. And while I, I will be honest that I don't think Young All-Stars was ever as good as All-Star Squadron, it definitely had potential. And I, and I understood what Roy Thomas was going for. He was trying to salvage as much as he could of the hard work that he had done on the All-Star Squadron and trying to go back and make sense of all these golden age, um, you know, tales of the, of the Justice Society and put them into some sort of context and everything. And, and Crisis on Infinite Earths just came along and just snafooed that whole thing so badly that, sadly, I, I just don't think he was ever able to quite recover and, and to regain the same head of steam that he'd had prior to crisis, which was a real shame, but all star young all stars started out as a pretty good book. But I think what, what really hurt it was that I think the writing was very good, but I think it was a combination of, I think he got a little bit too carried away with trying to tie too many characters of the team to literary properties, mm -hmm. a la league of extraordinary gentlemen or something like that. Plus, and I'm trying to remember where it exactly happened. Maybe about the midway point on the book, maybe a little more than midway. All of a sudden, the art took a serious nosedive. Because in the early issues, they had like Mike Bear was on a lot of the issues. And I really like his art style. And then, again, I'm not sure where it happened. I, I know for a fact that the last story arc, which Listen. should have been awesome. The art was atrocious on that. It yeah, was... it really killed that. I mean, I wasn't really... I had issues with the story from a continuity basis. Right. Um, but then, you know, he had played with... Thomas had played with the concept of Hugo Danner and Iron Monroe a little bit, so you kind of have to let that go. But man, that last issue, which was supposed to be the send-off, of the entire All-Star Squadron legacy just looked like crap. Yep. Yeah, and it's a shame. Because that's why I say this is kind of an odd choice to be on the list, because it probably did deserve its cancellation by that point. But it's a shame because, you know, I still think there's there's so many great stories to be told in that era and he had been doing such a great job up to that point. It's just kind of like the heart went out of it. But, you know, there, there's always that sense of, ah, you know, I wish they could have pulled it out at the end, you know, done like, you know, like a couple more years or maybe one last hurrah, like one great story as a send off. It's always a bummer when a book kind of ends on a whimper instead of a bang, especially mm -hmm. when when it had been a really solid book. Um, my next one's kind of along the same lines because this was one of my favorite books of the era that it was out. And I felt somewhat similar that it kind of ended with a whimper instead of a bang. And that was the original Booster Gold. I loved that series. I really, really loved that series. However, Millennium just gutted that character. And it, it just ruined the book. And it, it really did end with just kind of a, it just kind of faded away. It was just kind of a wimp ending to it. 
which is a real shame because that book up until Millennium, I thought was a really solid read. That was definitely one of my top of the stack, you know, must read books every month. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a breath, uh, breath of fresh air from DC at that time. And, uh, and I really, really dug it. And I don't think, um, you know, up until recently, I don't think that character ever quite recovered. He just was never quite the same as he was portrayed in that original series. And, uh, and I think that's a shame because I really enjoyed, you know, that character as basically he was the first post-crisis DC character. And he was yes. the first new one. And I really enjoyed that he was very different from what had come before from DC. If you really want to pick some nids, uh, it featured the first post-crisis Superman appearance. Mm-hmm. Very true. Yeah, I dug that book. I dug that book a whole lot. But I always thought it was a shame that it, it, it ended the way that it did. My last one, uh, my number one, this was the only one that immediately came to my mind when you threw this one out because I've always lamented the, uh, the cancellation of this series. And that is Amazing Man. Only ran 12 issues. It was a great book. But it just never seemed to really find, uh, find its legs at the time. What's funny is it's one of those books that I'll see on lists all the time from people of, you know, great books from this era, you know, books that got canceled too soon, you know, books that everybody seems to love. But what's weird is at the time, nobody seemed to be buying the book. It's funny that so many people look back on it with fondness, yet it didn't do well at the time it was actually coming out. It only ran 12 issues and then that was it. And they tried I think three times to kind of regenerate some interest with it because they kept doing specials and trying to like reinvigorate, you know, the, the readership and kind of keep it alive. But it was, it, they were just never able to, to capture that magic again because none of those specials were really anything great. And they, something happened with the art team too. It was like, it was the same people involved, but it, it's like one of those reunion shows, you know, you see, you know, years later after a TV show goes off the air and they come back like for one more hurrah and it's like, wow, everybody got really fat here or something. You know, it's just, <laughs> it's just, it's never as good. You know, they, they're just not able to pull it off the same way. And that, that's kind of how those, those specials felt. It was like they were trying, but it just wasn't the same anymore. And it was it's such a shame because that was a really solid, fun little book. I'm, I'm not usually much for uh, comedy comics, but that's one of the best. It was a really good book with a lot of heart and uh, such a shame that it only ran those 12 issues because it was a really, really good book. Um, two very quick honorable mentions. Uh, I, I know somebody out there is going to be shocked that I didn't mention Marvel Star Wars. I'm going to mention that one only because at the time it was canceled, absolutely crushed me. I was devastated that they canceled that book. But now having fully looked back at that series as an adult, um, I can see where they, they just didn't have anywhere else to go. And so, you know, they, they could have drug it out for, you know, another six months or a year or maybe several years. But at the time it, it went away, Probably looking back on it now, it's probably best that it did. It's a shame that it didn't go out with a bang. But 
I, I can see why it ended when it ended as well. So just at this point, just an honorable mention rather than actually making the list. And one other quick one was uh, the Blue Beetle series from DC right around the same time that uh, Booster Gold was coming out. That was, I want to say like 86, 87, something like that. Mm-hmm. That was a great book in the beginning. I thought it started out really strong, and it had a, a lot of hoopla around that series when it first started out. had really strong writing. The art was great, and then it just went downhill so fast. And when it finally got canceled, I wasn't necessarily heartbroken, but I remember feeling like, wow, that's a shame. You know, It only lasted, I think it lasted two years, maybe just a shade yes. over two years, and was like... Wow, that was a whole lot of buildup for something that really wasn't all that great. But man, it sure had potential. It's it's one of those like, you know, missed opportunity kind of titles. It, it did that title for for my money. That title, the the problem it had was, Len Wein had a had certain subplots just last too long. Yep, like that dude got on the island uh, where. Dan Garrett and Ted Cord. Hago Island was that it? Hago Island. He had him going like on issue one. Yeah. That thing didn't get resolved till issue sixteen. Yep. But it's like every issue would have, and then he walked another five feet and right. he found another thing, and it's just like, you know, either pay it off immediately or don't. I mean, because you're right. At the beginning, it's like you had him and it was Ted Cord, and you know, and owned his own company, and it was kind of like if Spider-Man was really rich and had a great social life. Mm-hmm. That's the Blue Beetle. Yep, and they brought in the question uh, for for a couple issues, and was you know they were really trying to launch those Charlton characters mm-hmm. uh, after the crisis. But uh, I'll agree with you. Eventually, it just got to the point where it was just like because I read both of those series together uh, chronologically yeah, because they came out so close to each other. When I finally managed to get them, because eventually they were really cheap. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they still kind of are. I mean, you can get the Booster Gold one in a in a showcase, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is cool. But yeah, no, I'll I'll, I'll agree with that. My list is uh, is a little interesting because of the haphazard way I collected comics in my early days. I didn't buy a whole lot of books when they were coming out. I discovered a lot of series uh, as they were happening. So two of my choices are basically hindsight ones that, that kind of bummed me out when I got to the end of them, uh, reading them. And then the other three are ones that I was reading at the time and was just crestfallen that they were ending. Uh, number five, Green Lantern Mosaic. It was such an odd title. Uh, it was as close to Verti- like Vertigo as mainstream DC would have gotten at the time. But it was basically the adventures of Jon Stewart as he's trying to hold together all of the cities that the old-timer brought to Oa during the first part of Gerard Jones's run on Green Lantern, and they couldn't put him back. So all of these different alien cultures had to live together, and Jon Stewart was basically their guardian. He was the one keeping the peace. And the artwork was early car- artwork by Cully Hamner. The writing was really solid. It was a good character piece. And apparently the original intention for the series was it was Jon Stewart's training to actually become a guardian of the universe. 
Hmm. And then it was canceled because if you look at and and really when you read the book, if you read the book again, you can see that's where Gerard Jones was going. But the book was canceled in a wave of cancellations at DC. Uh, if depending on who you talk to, it was either canceled due to low sales or that it was just too weird, uh, which is I guess entirely possible as well. So Green Lantern Mosaic number four. Justice Society of America by Lynn Straczewski and Mike Parabek. Apparently this book was canceled at issue three. And again, depending on who you believe, it was either low sales or Mike Carlin didn't like the book because uh, he felt it looked too old. Uh, again, that, you know, I've got several sources on that, but I don't want to say that as definitive because there's five sides to every story in comic books. This was coming off of uh, the year before they had done an eight-issue miniseries with the Justice Society. It was like an adventure of the Justice Society, uh, edited by Mike Gold, and basically all of the people that were doing Impact books came on and did like did an issue. Like Len Straczewski wrote the whole thing, but you had Grant Meehan and Tom Lyle and Mike Parabek all doing art. Well, Parabek was chosen to do the art on the main series that came out in 1992. Uh, one of my, I really need to get this uh, poster, is the the poster that came out for this book. Because it's this beautiful piece of Mike Parabek art with the JSA. Is that the he gatefold one? Uh, I think so. It's the one where everyone's kind of running at you. Yeah, I'll have to see. I might have more than one copy of that. If I do, I'll, I'll send you a copy. I, I know I have at least one of it. But, uh... It was basically, and I reread it recently, so I, I can actually speak to this a little better than maybe Mosaic, which I haven't read in like you know since 1998. Um, <coughs> it was basically the Justice Society coming back from Ragnarok, and now what do you do? They're older. There are other heroes. There are different threats. What role do they play? And in the first storyline. Uh, Len Straczewski really hyped this up. It had a great first issue. The first storyline, they went up against the Ultra Humanite. And then, this is this was funny rereading it. In the second storyline, they go up against Kulak. And I remembered us in the early days of the tales talking about that really, that, that Kulak story that neither of us really liked. Uh, and it kind of started the exact same way, but it never references it. Hmm. From All-Star Comics. And then, it, and then it was over. And it was just kind of sad because the book was just getting going. Straczewski was setting them up to be the elder statesman of the DC Universe long before Jeff Johns had that idea. Mm -hmm. And uh, James Robinson and David Goyer. So if you can find it in the 50 Cent bin, I really recommend tracking down the entire series. If you can find it, not only is the artwork, I mean, the writing great, but the artwork is amazing throughout the entire series. Number three, Supergirl by Peter David. Hmm. That title had a lot going against it. Uh, I It took me a good six months to really get on board with what he was doing. But once I was there, I really liked what I was reading. And then after issue 50, where the whole Supergirl as Earthborn Angel thing ended, and he was going on this whole new like road trip type 
thing with uh, with Linda and I almost called him Spike because <laughs> that's who he was like. But Peter David kept getting derailed by crossover after crossover after crossover. Just as he was getting his storyline back on track, he had to participate in All Worlds at War or Joker's Last Laugh or any or all that. So <clears throat> eventually, he got to a point where all of a sudden this supergirl shows up and she's the silver age blue skirted supergirl and it was this great storyline where linda eventually goes to the reality where this supergirl is from and has this entire life and goes to sacrifice herself because supergirl is supposed to die in the crisis and at the end, it all just kind of ended. It felt a lot like his last issue of Incredible Hulk, as a matter of fact, where he had to tie everything up. And one of the ideas he had, which I would have, it would have been tricky to pull off, but I would have liked to have seen, is he wanted to make Supergirl a Birds of Prey type book for the Superman books, where you had Linda and you had Power Girl and you had this other Supergirl all working together. Hmm. And conceptually, that's amazing. I don't know how the execution would have been. But that was one of those books when it was canceled. Because it was canceled around the same time as the next book I'm going to talk about. That just broke my heart. Because I had fallen in love with those characters so much. And the book was getting so good. That when they canceled, it's just like, oh. and I understand sales were low. And I understand that there was a new direction being taken at the company at large. Because uh, that's when DiDio was really stepping in uh, to be the executive editor, and it was just, it was just heartbreaking. <clears throat> Number two, Young Justice. Man, this one killed me. And to be fair, I, I, I enjoyed Teen Titans, which is what replaced it ostensibly. But Young Justice was just one of those books that I could go to every month and know that I was going to have a good time. It. It had goofy moments, to be sure, and it was played on a lighter level, but every once in a while, shit would get real, and it would it would have that much more impact. And Peter David developed these characters, and I'm not saying every issue was perfect. There's one issue in particular that I reread recently, and I went, wow, you need to throttle back on the subtext here, because it's not even subtext anymore. <laughs> so, uh, you know... Sometimes when books get political, I get a little turned off, even if I agree with what the writer is saying. So, but Young Justice ending, it was just like, wow, that, it was just a fun book. And I loved how he handled those characters. And it was a great place to see Superboy and Impulse and Robin and Wonder Girl and Arrowette and uh, Empress. And I even liked Lil Lobo just because it was such an off-the-wall concept. How many, this how many issues did that run? Did that run... Like 52 or so. Oh, okay. It lasted a good four years. Um, but yeah, that, that broke my heart. Number one, and this one I was following at the time, and it really pissed me off when it got canceled because of what replaced it. The first wave of Mark Wade and Ron Garney on Captain America. Oh god, yeah. They were they had brought that book back and I, you know, I read all of Mark Grunewald's run. 
And God love him, by the end of his run on that book, it just wasn't really working anymore. You know, everyone makes fun of, you know, RoboCap when he's in the suit and everything. And that's kind of... I can see where people would have a problem with it. It worked within the context of the story, but it just went on too long. And so finally he leaves, and Mark Wade comes on, and suddenly Captain America is viable again. He had this real kind of action-adventure... Uh, he uh, Wade referred to it as kind of a Tom Clancy approach to it, where, you know, Cap's out there fighting the bad guys... And, you know, he, he, you know, there's espionage, there's international intrigue, you know, his first issue didn't have Captain America in it at all. And it was amazing. And then you had this whole storyline with the Red Skull and bringing Cap back. And then Cap was a man without a country for a couple issues. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I liked that storyline. And just as the book was ramping up and just as everything was kind of settling out, Heroes Reborn happened. And from what I understand, Heroes Reborn was going to happen when they brought them on the book. Uh, that was going to happen regardless. And Liefeld maintains that he uh, that he offered the writing position of the Captain America book to Wade. But, you know, why would you take that? Why would you work with somebody else's concept when you've worked so hard to, you know, do your own concept? And Garney and Wade eventually came back to the book. I don't think it had the same heart to it. No, it didn't. It was, it was, that's what I was going to say. It was a lot like Amazing Man. They tried, God bless them, but they just weren't able to recapture that same magic. There was some good stories, though, but just uh, not as good. And I think the whole getting rid of Cap Shield for as long as they did was kind of a misstep because I don't know about you, I hated the electric shield. I I, I did, but. I did really hate that, but I thought the idea of him losing his shield for a time was actually kind of interesting. And the the uh, storyline where he got the shield back, I thought was good. Because I, I was reading that book, but like you say, it just, it, it just wasn't as good. And I remember stopped reading mm-hmm. it, but it bugged me for years after. I was like, man, I wonder what ever happened with the S.H.I.E.L.D. story. And then it became obvious from like Avengers and stuff that at some point he'd gotten the shield back. Mm-hmm. So I always wanted to read the rest of that story. Like, how did he get it back and everything? And I ended up finally tracking it down. And it was over the course of like several years because I want to say it was Namor fished it out of the ocean. But as soon as he fished, fished it out of the ocean, it no, crumbled. It was, uh, I think it was Rhodey. Oh, was it Rhodey? Yeah, Namor came in and... To kind of answer some things that fans were saying at the time, because, you know, he lost it in the ocean. And somebody's like, well, why doesn't Namor find it? And he answered that in the comic by Namor saying, do you know how big the ocean is? Right, exactly, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, you're seriously. Slightly better, bigger than a dinner platter, you know, <laughs> on, you know, on, you know. Three quarters of the planet. Of the planet. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> but it was cool they they finally did find it and they they gave it to cap and it like instantly crumbled and i forget why something had it happened. was something to do with claw and the vibranium and I, all that kind of stuff so it, it was an interesting uh it was an interesting storyline when Kubert came on andy Kubert came on to do the art mm-hmm. i think the book picked up but uh, eventually dan jurgens came on the book and i think he has a very underrated run on that on that title because i really liked 
uh, the stories that he told, because that was when Jurgens was really hot and heavy into uh, the Marvel universe. Because not only was yep. he writing that, he was writing Thor. And I and I, if I'm correct, I think you like his run on. Thor. I loved his run on Thor. I was just going to ask you if you'd ever read it because I think I have that run of his on Cap, and I've never read it. But I do think I have the whole thing. I'm going to have to dig that out and read it because I was a huge fan of his run on Thor, and I've always considered it such a crime that that book, I thought, was steaming right along. Although, if if I'm not mistaken, I don't think the numbers were very good on it, but it was going right along, and it was a really solid read. And then, for whatever reason, I don't know if it was low sales or they wanted to reboot it or whatever happened... But they canceled the book, and let it, rather than let him cancel it, they brought on that, uh, what is that guy's name, Michael Avon Oming, for that one story where it was Ragnarok and he killed everybody. And that story sucked. It, it sucked <laughs> so bad. And he's one of those guys that I, I typically I try to overlook uh, a writer's or, or you know, a creator's personal politics but he's such a liberal douchebag that I just retroactively... Didn't Warren Ellis write that, or was, am I thinking of something else? I think it was Michael Avon Oming. Or did Ellis... No, Ellis wrote the last gasp of the previous Thor run that led up to 500. Right, and you know, it's funny, you were mentioning um, Captain America, you know, by uh, by Wade and, uh, and Garney when that was canceled. I would throw that Thor... Because, see, I didn't go with anybody... That like where they canceled the series, just like rebooted or whatever. I thought about it because I actually did think of that run of Thor because I don't know how I'd feel about it today, but at the time I was reading it and it was canceled, I remember being very upset about that because for the first time in a long time, I felt like Thor had gotten interesting again. I thought it was really kind of neat because they completely changed up his look. He had a new girlfriend. Um, it's funny because it was during that time when they, they had him, if you remember how he looked in DC versus Marvel, he had that new yeah. outfit that was really kind of God awful. It's funny because everywhere that you would see Thor outside of his own title, he was wearing that outfit, but in Thor, I don't think he ever wore that outfit at all. It was really weird. So it was like they were trying to he, market. He went shirtless a lot. In yeah, he was shirtless. In <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Because the, the very last um, story was called Putting on the Bear Shirt. And it was an explanation of the word berserker that actually comes from Nordic times when they would go berserk. But they would put on what they called the bear shirt and go out and kick ass. It was a Viking thing. And I thought that was a great... It, I mean, it went out on a high note, but it's just a shame that it ended at all. Because it ended just so that they could do that stupid... You know, the onslaught and all that crap that they did, you know, before they rebooted everything. And then Thor was one of the few books that when they rebooted it again for Heroes Return was like, I really didn't like because I think the if I remember right, I think the writing was good because I think was that Jurgens? Jurgens right out of the gate started. Yeah, he started on okay, that yeah. with uh, so John Romita Jr. Yeah, exactly. So the writing was not bad, but the art was a Atrocious. You're not a JRJR fan? You know what's funny? I used to be. When I was a kid, I loved his stuff, like on Iron Man and um, 
Contest of Champions is a hell of a book. I loved his stuff when I was a kid, but he's one of those artists where somewhere along the line, he just kept toying with his style to where his modern stuff from like from that era forward, I just like I was reading not long ago, I was trying to get all caught up on modern Marvel, right? Uh-huh. And so I was reading through because I quit reading Marvel right after what was it? Secret Invasion. I just dropped it for a while. I was like, eh, I think I'm kind of done with Marvel for a while. But not long ago, I, I picked it back up again and kind of decided, well, I'm going to pick that up basically from where I left off. So I was reading like, I read like, uh, what was that thing? Dark Rain and yeah. Siege and all that. And it wasn't too I was enjoying it. But what I was really enjoying the most was the core Avengers books. I thought the, the Avengers was not bad. I was kind of digging it. And then I got to whatever Avengers book it was that was being drawn by John Romita Jr. Oh my God, is that horrible? I yeah, mean, uh, that that was pretty much consistently the 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 criticism of that book is that the artwork, uh, even from people who were fans of what JRJR was doing over on Spider Man. Right. Uh, it was like this feeling like he was rushing it. It I mean, didn't feel complete. It didn't look as good. It was infantile. I mean, that's really the only way to describe it. And I know that that is very insulting, but there's no other word I can think of than it's infantile. It it looks like it's drawn for the purposes of being like in a in a coloring book or something. It's really bad. It's so bad I can't read it, and it's by the same friggin' writer that's writing the other book, the other Avengers title at the time, that I'm really enjoying. But, I mean, there are times when I just can't get past the visual, no matter how good the writing is, and that's one of those books. I just, I can't read it because the art's just, it's really bad. It, it's so scratchy and unfinished and unpolished and just it does not look like professional mainstream comics at all it, it it's it has a very uh rushed and and like beginner indie feel to it you know what i mean and yes. somebody that's been around in the industry what like 40 years now you just look at it and go, Jesus, dude, what happened to you? Because, I mean, he used to be one of the greats. And I, I just, it, it's hard for me now to look back at some of his early, and I'd forgotten about his Spider-Man stuff was really good, too. You know, the stuff back in the day. Like yeah. Stern and everything. I mean, I look at some of that stuff of his, and then I look at the modern stuff, and it's like, wow. You know, I mean, it's it's like it's not even the same guy. Yeah, so. there's a, it, it's kind of interesting I'm kind of glad that the Jurgens cap and the Jurgens Thor is all available in trade now. Uh, you can you can basically buy all that in collected edition form because I'm you know I'm I've been scaling back on my individual issues uh, over the past year or so. So I you know if, I meant to I, ask you about that. How did how was that going by the way? Ah, uh, you know I, I keep meaning to get back to it. I had a very successful run up to. Uh, Dragon Con. I sold some books. I mean, some books went for exactly what I thought they were going to. Some went for pennies on the dollar. And then others 
there was a like like I, I was talking about this a couple months ago. There was a you know like a, a war over the uh, brand new day Spider Mans that I was selling. So, <laughs> uh, just basically as long as you start low and have you know kind of you know the expectation that you're not going to get out of it what you get, you're you're always you know surprised. And I got to get back to it because I've got a bunch of X Men stuff. What's to, uh? uh What's your intention, if you don't mind my ass? I mean, you, you are you intending just to kind of pare down or to yeah, get I'm paring rid of down. Everything? I'm basically oh, okay. I'm getting rid of most of my Marvel stuff uh, because I bought all of that stuff just because, right? Uh, and I go, well, eventually I'm going to read this, and it's kind of interesting at the time. And now I realize, you know, especially since we're going to be moving in a couple months, which keeps getting moved off, but that's not anybody's fault, really. Um, you know, with moving and just my own personal thing, it's just like if I want to, like Marvel, DC, I want the individual issues because I'm such a DC kid. You know, I, uh, you know, to paraphrase Louis Grizzard, I was DC born, I was DC bred, and I won't finish that because it has the word dead in it. <laughs> but Marvel, I like to backpack in every once in a while. And right. it is so much easier to do that in trade paperback form. Where, you know, I just I just walk up to the shelf, I read the story, I don't have to worry about opening bags, I don't have to worry worrying about the get next issue. All I want is a story. I don't care care about the ads or anything. Have you so, gone have you gone digital yet? I don't have a tablet yet. Because uh, you, my I friend, go- you sound like you are a prime candidate for digital because that's you sound when you say that about trades you sound like me when i'm talking about my my tablet and my digital stuff because that i'm telling you you know i'm I'm sitting here in this room with you know with with eighteen thousand plus books yet when i sit down to read comics these days 99.9 percent of the time rather than go through the pain in the ass of digging through a box that's i mean it's it's right here I'll instead I'll go and I'll dig it up digitally and throw it on the iPad because it's just more convenient. I don't have to deal with throwing boxes around. I don't have to move anything. I don't have to deal with bags and boards and all that bullshit. And really about the only thing I might ever miss is if you get like a scan where it's like just the pages and they didn't do like the, the you know, the, the uh, advertisements and stuff. So, you know, you might miss like an old hostess ad or something. I can live with that because I can sit on the, on the, iPad and blow through an entire run of something so much faster than dealing with the actual paper. I don't know what it is, but I I have read so many comics in the past year because it's just easier and more convenient to do it digitally than it ever has been with paper. So if if your ears were burning a couple of nights ago, um, your name actually came up in conversation when uh, my wife and I were driving back from Sanford because we'd gone up there to to go to dinner and do some grocery shopping and stuff and doing some like pre-Christmas, you know, idea getting type of, you know, window shopping. And it occurred to me, you know, there are two comic shops in that town. There's the one that I used to go to that was my LCS before I went digital. And then there's another one at the mall. There's a Coliseum of Comics at the mall. Both really nice shops. Both of them really good, solid back issue collections. Or, you know, back issue selections. Haven't set foot in either one of them now, and it's got to be a year or better. And, you know, I'm finding I don't miss it at all. 
And I, I made, you know, just a, a mention of it to my wife. I was like, man, you know, how weird is it for me to come up here and not have any desire to go to the comic shop? And she's like, you know, being a smart ass, she was like, oh, you, you know, are you sick? <laughs> I was like, I was like, no, you know, I just, when you, I laugh because my wife would do the same thing. Yeah. You know, when you can get it digitally, you know, and it's so much more easy and convenient and everything. I just, I find that I don't miss it. So your name came up in conversation because she said, you know, as wives will often do, she said, well, you know, if, if it's that easy, then, you know, why don't you clear out the room and get rid of all that stuff you got, you know, in your comic room. And, you know, it's not like I haven't been thinking about it. And so I, I told her, I said, you know, well, not long ago, I, you know, I knew that you were, had been selling off comics and everything. So I told her I would talk to you and see how you'd been doing with that. Because I don't think I could ever truly do like a sweeping like, all right, let's just get rid of every damn thing. But I would definitely like to pare down. I mean, I could do with some serious paring down because, you know, like you said, I know that there was a time there for like a decade when comics were so easily accessible and so damn cheap as yeah. all of these people started to either get out of the business or comic shops started to fail, you know, whatever the case may be, I was buying comics like a friggin' madman. And so I have acquired a massive collection of just, I mean, you know, it, it's not all shit. I mean, there's some really good stuff in there. But, I mean, I've just amassed a massive collection. I would say at this point probably at least 50% of it. I mean, I had intended at one time to sit down and try to read everything. It's never going to happen. Yeah, and, and that's basically where I where I, I came from. I took a you know, it's something that I had been thinking about before. But Rachel's accident really started getting my gears in motion about what I really want to do as a fan when i started reading comics it was like this whole world was suddenly made available to me for the first time mm -hmm. every time i went to the spinner rack and eventually when i was going to the shop but the spinner rack especially it was all virgin territory i didn't know what anything was i didn't know how everything fit into everything and when i bought a comic even if i didn't absolutely love it i still liked it it was just like oh well that that wasn't as good as the comic I just read, but wow, this is all great. And eventually, as I evolved as a fan and a collector and a reader, it got complicated. It got, well, I can't read this because I haven't read that. And I have yep. like every issue except this one, so I can't read it until I get that one. And I may never find it or, you know, I'll eventually I'll just get it off of eBay. And what I want to get back to is just reading for this because I want to read. Mm -hmm. And like I said before, I, you know, I, before when I would like file books and filing books is a, is a day process for both of us. You know, if you really have to file your books, you know, I would look through my DC books and I would stop and I would look at some covers and I'd be like, ah, oh, man, I love this book. And I would do the same thing with the Marvel. It eventually got to the point when I was sorting through the Marvels where it's just like, you know, I don't I don't really need this. And when that happened five times, and I counted it, when it happened five times, I, I realized I really didn't need it. It's like, you know, when people let a book stack up for six months and really don't care, mm -hmm. you know, when they're buying it new. 
And I realized, well, at the time we needed some money, and really with the move we could use you know use the money uh, again. And what I found is is that while you know I'm not getting Overstreet for all of these books because you're not going to, it's just not that market anymore unless you're serious about it and have like blue chip books that are definitely worth money and you've gotten them slabbed, you're not going to make hundreds of thousands of dollars. But because I have so much stuff, once it starts adding up, it's just like, holy crap, that's like $2,000 in a month. I mean, two grand out of some of these books, you know, that I was selling wasn't, you know, averaged out probably about a dollar a book. And really, that's not a bad return since I didn't pay more than 50 cents for most of these comics. Right. So, and then certain books, like I've talked about before, like the first appearance of Cable and the first appearance of Deadpool, it was like every time I would get the notification that another bid had been placed on New Mutants number 98, I honestly went, really? <laughs> really? Really? This book that you couldn't give away in 1997, right, is now going for like 85 And if you get that sucker slabbed, it's like hundreds of dollars for that piece of crap book. See, that right there tells me... It's a wonderful clue to me how badly out of touch I am with the market these days. Because when you told me that, I was like, wait a minute. I'm pretty damn sure I bought that book out of a quarter bin. I'm almost positive I did. And I remember at the time buying it, the guy at the shop being like, really? (laughs) You want that? And I, I think the only reason I got it is because it just filled a hole somewhere. You know what I mean? I've never even read it. So, yeah. So, you know, my, my goal now is to get rid of all the books I want to get rid of and use the money first to buy some things we need. We need some appliances and stuff. So I figure, hey, this is this is perfect. You know, I'm getting rid of some comics. We're getting the money to get what we need to get. But my other goal is to sell enough to buy a tablet. And I figure if I do that, you know, I have so many books digitally now right. that I could blow through stuff, like you're saying. And, and you're right, because uh, I, I went through Comixology to get a couple issues that the comic shop didn't have at the time I needed to review it. And I've never bought comics like that before. And it was so simple and so easy and the interface on the even on my monitor is pretty good. I can't imagine how awesome it is on the tablet. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, you know, there will be, you know, I will always want the Superman titles just because I've been collecting it so long, and you know, to 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 keep amassing those uh, is kind of a, a point of pride at this point. But other books that maybe I'm not, you know, really wanting physical copies, and and, and don't take this the wrong way, like All Star Western. It's a book right. I want to read. I don't know if it's a book I want in my collection. Right. So I buy the digital version. You know, Palmiati and all of them are still getting their money. And I'm getting the book and I get to read it. And as long as, you know, the account and everything holds up, I have it. And I'm okay with that. It, it, it's really funny how far you and I have come on this digital thing compared to when we first started podcasting. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> we were originally kind of against it. And then we were like, ah, it's going to happen anyways. And now you're, you're, uh, you've, downed the kool-aid so to speak so but for the right reasons it's it's just one of those things that you know when you suddenly find that 
every comic you could possibly want to read is right there at your fingertips, it, it's kind of taken the the thrill of the hunt away, you know? And so now I, I just, I don't feel that need anymore to go out hunting. You know what I mean? Because yeah, they're, they're right there. And there are books that I want in my collection. I have been working, in fact, I got a very good deal off of... Uh some Mr. Miracle comics from the 70s from somebody that lives in your town, as a matter of fact. It was really huh. weird looking at the return address mm. and going, I, I know that. Uh, <laughs> of that city, I know two people that live there. Um, but, you know, those types of things. My Superman, my Silver Age Superman collection, as I can find it cheap, I want to piece that together. You know, and there are books I'm always going to want to keep. All of my 90s DC stuff... I'm going to want to keep because it means so much to me on an emotional level right. that I have those because I bought those. They remind me of a particular time. I still really like them. But if I just want to read a story, which again is where I'm coming back to as a reader, where all I want to do is just read what happened, you know, just, just to see what it was like, then digital is the way to go because in some cases it's very inexpensive and on the and at the same time like you said i can see blowing through something really quick because it's all right there mm-hmm. you know you know you're just reading the story and then you're going to the next one uh john wilson when he came to visit he brought his ipad with him and he showed me the setup he has and the the app that he uses to read comics and it's really cool looking as a matter of fact I mean, it it, 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 it just it, it sets everything up, and then apparently from there you can post images online from the book itself uh, and stuff oh, like wow. that. Because yeah. uh, you can copy the cover and then post it to Facebook, or copy a page and post it to Facebook. And I'm just like, that's amazing. And 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 through various means, uh, you know, I have uh, nowhere near where you, what you have, uh, but I have you know a lot of books digitally. And if I'm going to read all of Batman, that's a better way to read all of Batman. There you go. Or if I want to read some run of New Mutants, I don't have to go dig out a bunch of books because that's work anyways. I can just read them, scratch the itch, and move on. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the really cool thing. And, you know, now, you know, if you want to read something that's complicated as far as you know, it's some big crossover event that, you know, happened in like a hundred titles or what, you can actually find that somewhere, you know, where somebody has actually put that together mm-hmm. as a download. You know, here's all of this event, you know, in one download file, as opposed to having to chase books all over the place and find lists and checklists and all that crap. You know, you can find them conveniently right all together. And I, I love that. I mean, it, it's actually pretty exciting times that we're in when it comes to to that type of way to be able to read comics i I actually i I find myself enjoying it a lot and it was and it was gonna happen i mean the way we collect comic we collected comics is not the way comics are collected these days Mm -mm. that time has passed and i've made peace with that you know i went through the five stages of fan grief (laughs) and you know, now it's just like, okay, you know, the, the, the people coming up behind us are not going to have the same experience. And maybe they'll look at some of these stories and not really see them in the proper context. 
But I can say the same thing for me in Silver Age stories or Golden Age stories, where I'm not seeing it the same way the people that were reading them at the time saw it. And that's just the natural evolution of it. And everything, as you know, until the big EMP hits and you know technology is considered you know dead, uh, you know this is the way things are going to go. It's the way it is for music. It's the way it is for television shows. It's the way it is for movies. You know, it's just it's just how our society has moved forward based on the technological advances of the past twenty years. Right. And That's I'm okay with that. So far. <laughs> In the year twenty five twenty five if man is still alive if woman can survive they may fly in the year 35 35 ain't gonna need to tell the truth tell no lies everything you think do and say is in the pill you took today in the year 45, 45, ain't gonna need your teeth, won't need your eyes. You won't find a thing to chew. Nobody's gonna look at you. In the year 55, 55, your arms are hanging limp at your sides. Your legs got nothing to do. Some machine doing that for you In the year 65, 65 Ain't gonna need no husband, won't need no wife You pick your son, pick your daughter too From the bottom of a long glass tube Whoa, whoa In the year 75-10 If God's a-coming, he ought to make it by then Maybe he'll look around himself and say Guess it's time for the judgment day In the year 85-10 God is gonna shake his mighty head He'll either say I'm pleased where man has been Or tear it down and start again Whoa, whoa Everything this old earth can give And he ain't put back nothing Whoa, whoa Now it's been ten thousand years Man has cried a billion tears For what he never knew Now man's reign is through But through eternal night The twinkling of starlight So very far away Maybe it's only yesterday In the year 2525 If man is still alive If woman can survive They may fall In the year 
you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the 2TrueFreaks at the same time. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. Visit our brand new website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com, where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook, too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook, too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. finally invited aboard one of these spacecraft, which landed near Ann Arbor, Michigan on October the 24th of 1954. This is a drawing of the craft. As I was leaving the craft, the commander, Soltek, said, soon others of your people will be able to have an experience similar to this.